you started to say, Betty, about how does it make sense that hormones cause cancer? Well, they don't. There are many causes of cancer. There's many causes of any illness that you can think of. They don't come out of the blue in most instances, probably some exceptions there, difficult to explain. But, you know, they always come down to indiscretions around what you're eating, toxic exposures, too little or too much exercise, or the fight or flight biochemistry, that if you don't have good skills to deal with your life emotionally and mentally, you trigger this cascade of immune suppressive and you do it day in and day out. These are the causes of illness. They're definitely there. And there's thousands of them throughout the course of a lifetime and they add up and they do not cause health. They cause absence of health. But hormones are critical to health. Welcome to the Menopause Mastery Podcast, a show for women just like you who are ready for more health, vitality, passion, living life with a purpose. I created this show because I knew that women just like me in this second season of life, the season of menopause, are really tapping into their deepest desires. And we're ready to harness our physical and mental health and explore what our true passions are and peel back the layers to uncover exactly what we want out of life. I'm your host, Betty Murray, part geek, part magician, and your new medical bestie with a dash of sass. I love taking the complex science and making it easier to integrate into daily life. So let's join the journey to make this season the best ever. So today on Menopause Mastery, I'm talking to Dr. David Rosensweet. Dr. Rosensweet graduated from the University of Michigan Medical School in 1968. And since 1971, he has been in private practice with offices in Florida, New Mexico, California, and Colorado. Early in his career, Dr. Rosenstreet trained the first nurse practitioners in the United States and was in charge of health promotion for the entire state of New Mexico. He is known nationally as a lecturer and presenter for the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, the American College for the Advancement of Medicine, and the Age Management Medicine Group, and more. And in 2019, he was actually called to Washington to speak in front of the National Academies of Science and Engineering and Medicine. And specifically, he was he was there to talk about the safety and efficacy of bioidentical hormones. Dr. Rosenthal-Sweet is also the founder of the Menopause Method and the Institute for Bioidentical uh, medicine, where he's been training medical pr- practitioners to implement bioidentical hormone management using the most advanced and modern tools. And his protocols have been used to treat more than 12,000 women across the United States. So Dr. Rosensweet is one of the OGs in the functional medicine movement and is well steeped and obviously well respected in the discussion about bioidentical hormones, their safety and their efficacy. So today we are going to get in deep on what you want to know about uh, bioidentical hormones, how we use them to treat different symptoms, how long should you be on them, what things you need to know about, what's the best delivery mechanism and more. So join me on Menopause Mastery. Okay, Dr. Rosensweet, I am excited to talk to you because anybody that's been listening to Menopause Mastery, you know that I'm kind of hot under the collar about women's health and and the state of it today. And I'm so happy to have you because you have been leading the charge for so long for women's health. So I'd love for you to tell me sort of how you got here. Like, I know, I know you went to medical school and you've always been in this arena, but almost all of us have a story that is a little deeper. Can you share yours? 
Well, in as I left medical school, I was very interested in health. I love medical school. It was uh, like being in my own church or synagogue, I tell you. But when I left, I really wanted to know more about nutrition and what made people heal. And I really got into it. And I was doing holistic and functional medicine long before there was a word. And then in early 1990s, a patient of mine, Deborah, in her mid-40s, came storming into my office one morning prior to me starting up without an appointment, walked up to my desk, slammed her fist at my desk and said, look, don't think you know me. I am going crazy and I need help. Don't pretend you think everything's okay. I knew Deborah quite well. She was brilliant. She had retired in her 40s. Think about that. And serendipitously, or as I like to see it, I've had a really blessed, guided from the inside career. I had been speaking to a medical doctor who had really brought forth progesterone and the importance of it for women a couple of weeks before. And I prescribed her some progesterone. And three weeks later, I got a letter from her saying, I can't believe this stuff. I'm totally myself again. And that was very profound because by the time someone gets a doctor's consultation, they're not doing well. And for something to be that dramatic, that profound, it really caught my attention. But again, I wasn't guiding my career. It just sort of unfolded from there. From uh, Deborah started referring. Uh, before I knew it, I had a primary uh, menopause practice. And it suited really my deepest interest in medicine. I, um, For one thing, I really love biochemistry. I really love hormones. So it was really easy in that sense. And then, you know, my whole team is mission-driven. We We deeply believe that this planet desperately needs more female energy, feminine energy. At every level of decision, in the home, in business, in politics, everywhere. And so it really met up where my heart is. And so, bam, off we go. <laughs> I was in it oh, uh, really quickly. And, uh, and then, you know, the way the universe works, I, I received a lot of support. That mission is huge to me. You know, I, I truly, you know, everybody that listens to Menopause Mastery knows that I feel the women in this time period of life have a huge legacy. And many of us desire and want to leave this legacy and, and give our heart an impact, whether it's taking care of our kids or changing politics or the nature of women's health. And that, you know, we just need to feel better so we can do it. And um, so I, I love I love your mission along that. So let's get into, you know, some of the myths about hormone replacement and women's health. I can tell you that if I don't have hormones on board since I've gone through menopause, I have never been so angry in my life. And I'm one of the mellowest people you could meet. And I am just unbelievably angry. So there's an extraordinary amount of things that are happening. So what are what are some of those myths that people need to understand that hormones play a role in? Well, I mean, that's a very common story. These are the most powerful biochemicals in our body, all hormones, and the ovarian hormones, the testicular hormones, these are very potent things. And when we lose them, and everybody does, no exceptions, midlife, you know, big, big change. And uh, these play a role in our energy. They're, they're very neuroactive. So when we lose these good, juicy chemicals that fuel our happiness and our creativity and our ability to decide and be motivated, man, it's, it's a real loss. And uh, so, yeah, the myth is that, oh, menopause is natural. It's perfectly fine. It's not. 
And, you know, ask any man who's lost an erection, oh, it's perfectly fine. You're midlife, you know, no problem. No, it's a big deal. And it's at a time when our wisdom, our experience, our knowledge is peaking and we lose these biochemicals and we fall off of a cliff. And who designed this? Well, for hundreds of thousands of years, no one lived through menopause, male or female. So we're in a new era here and we can respond to it beautifully with the same molecules that ovaries or testicles put out. It's a big, it's a big deal. But you asked about myths. One of the reasons is this field got so stunted, and I mean stunted, is in because for thousands of years, a thousand years, uh, hormones have been replenished in women and men. And in the 1940s in the United States, big, big experience. The pharmaceutical manufacturers learned how to garner huge amounts of hormones from horses' urine and came up with um, products called Premer and Prempro. And, you know, there was 18 million women, 40% of those in menopause in 2002 on Premer and Prempro. And you know what? These women did well and had protections and and felt better. And you could tell the difference. I could tell the difference between a woman who's on Premer and Prempro. I've never prescribed Premer and Prempro because nowadays I feel like that we have many other options and uh, options that I personally prefer. But uh, And then along comes this study that was falsely reported. The study said there was increased, increased risk. However, inside the study, it didn't say that. It said that Premarin reduced the risk of breast cancer, and women on Prempro had a 1.26 increased relative risk, but it was statistically insignificant. Well, anybody, any scientist or medical doctor who read statistical insignificance means there was no conclusions that you could draw. But that's not what the press got a hold of. They exploded it out there. And 18 million women, you know, got tremendously frightened, as did their healthcare providers. And it went down to one or two million. Huge consequences of that. Well, that study was originally, was uh, eventually retracted by the original study committee, published in the original journal. Journal of American Medical Association saying after 18 years of follow-ups, there was no increased risk. But hardly anyone's heard of that. Although more and more are, it's it's leaking back in. I saw that the study was false just in the beginning. So I was treating women with compounded bioidentical hormones. We didn't drop a beat. But for any woman, here's here's the science. And thanks for giving me the air here. I, I, I hope I'm not speaking too long here. Here's the actual science. We're human beings. We're all at risk for all kinds of diagnoses. A lot of them not so good. We're at risk for cancers, hundreds of cancers. And as a male, I'm at increased relative risk for prostate cancer. And there are reasons for that increased relative risk. And women are at increased relative risk for breast cancer. And there are reasons for that. However, here's the science. Women who are treated with hormones are at less risk for breast cancer, heart attack, and stroke than women who go untreated. There's more to it. Uh, it's even more profound than that, but I want that one to echo around. And every, that's, that's the biggest myth out there about hormones. There's other myths. One of them is take, everyone got scared. So these idea and, and women had so, so many challenging consequences that the medical community scared still responded. Well, maybe you should take the lowest dose for the shortest period of time. That was the original remedy. Hold your, cross your fingers, bite your tongue. And that was sort of the approach. I understand that. They wanted, they didn't want to see people suffer so much, but that's a myth. You take the optimal dose for the rest of your life. 
try and tell me that I should stop t- using my testosterone. <laughs> no, every day that I have it, that I'm on this planet, I, I mean, tell a man that, that he's he lost his erection, then he gets his erection back and his energy back and his juice back, and then tell him, but you should only take it for a couple years, you know, and then try and go low as you can. No, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. These are power biochemicals that help everything in us. Our brains, our immune systems, our bones, our arteries. So that's a myth. It's a myth that you should take the No, you should take the optimal dose, not too much and not too little, for your whole, every single day you're, that you're on the planet Earth, without exception. I always thought, you know, it's, I'm, I'm a scientist, I'm a researcher, PhD. So, you know, I look at it and I go, okay, first step, logic, right? So if, if breast cancer is, you're protected against breast cancer if you have a child earlier, have more children, menses earlier, right? Longer menses, all of those signs of higher peaking of your ovarian hormones, right? And then, and then we're like, oh, there's no risk to birth control, which of course we've talked about before too, <laughs> using birth control. But the minute you go through menopause, every hormone is dangerous and you and you're going to die. I'm like, that defies logic. It defies logic. Our ovarian hormones circulating are protective. And just, and the fact that people keep promoting it. And I think the thing with the women's health initiative is even though it's been retracted, people keep mining into that data and whipping the data into new studies that are still crap. And it's frustrating because you go out and you try and look at information to try and draw other conclusions. And then you find all the literature reviews are going back to a retracted study. All of the defense of why somebody may have a hypothesis is going back to false data. And so women are out here being kind of gaslighted by the medical community and nothing's, nothing's actually getting done. So I have another major question for you because this is one I can't find in the data. So lots of women have maybe gone through menopause and they've been off hormones for, you know, nothing didn't take anything. And, you know, if you go look in the data, it's very hard to find where the risk profile is or isn't. You know, and I would say in the functional medicine community, there's sort of a wives' tale that, you know, if you're 10 years past menopause, maybe you don't do hormones. What is your kind of thoughts about that? What do you what do you think if a woman has been kind of without hormones for a long time. Is there a grace period sort of? And then, you know, we need to think differently. Well, it's an individual by individual situation, and which is true of every single woman and every single man. But uh, just to get cut to the chase, I was finally able to start treating my mother when she was 86. She wouldn't, I was her son, and she didn't want me to talk about hormone things and medical things until she did. And my mother-in-law as well. I started treating her when she was 85, just to give you an idea how my heart and soul felt about it. And only with the wish that I had done it a lot earlier, I'd been able to do it a lot earlier. Well, here's one of the reasons that there's information out there about this. But before I go into that, I'd like to say that anyone who has real interest in what the science is, read a book called Estrogen Matters by Avram Blooming and Carol Tavris. These are world experts. He's a breast, he's a, a oncologist, cancer specialist who specialized in breast cancer. There's no better resource on the planet than Avram Blooming, even though he's not a fan of bioidenticals and he and I are in constant discussion about this. Um, he is really an expert about, um, the lesser risk for women who are being treated. Now, sorry, I'm going to go back. The ideal time to start treating a woman in menopause is in perimenopause. She's in her 30s. 
and she's you know a lot of women are losing their progesterone there faster than they're losing their estrogen and that's an ideal time but i say whenever you know whenever a woman uh says you know what i'm interested in this i say explore it and start it and you know there's more of a process to go through and especially these days because so on, so many women didn't think twice about it prior to 2002 you know you went into menopause 40% of women go on premer and prempro the doctors weren't concerned they they knew there was benefit but now there are a lot of women out there who said i, I i'm scared too and now it's t- they're 10 years out 20 years out and they never had any hormones when do you start you start whenever you get, get inspired. Now, there are special precautions. Estrogen is so protective to the coronary arteries that there is an, uh, that you can, a woman can start getting atherosclerosis when she goes into menopause, where she had special protection that men didn't even have. And she loses that special protection when her, when her uh, estrogen goes away. And there are some circumstances where that protection is, that, uh, that atherosclerosis is so developed that there's actually a clot in a coronary artery. And for the first year that you give estrogen, you're at greater risk for that clot to break loose and cause a heart attack. Rare. So when a woman, but we're we're paying attention to all this stuff. Now I was talking to one of my favorite compounding pharmacists who's been treating women since the 80s, 1980s. And we were just going, wow, we've been treating women without knowing this little extra feature. So a couple of years ago, when it was exposed, we treated people of all, you know, we never stopped to think about that you could break a thrombus loose by treating a woman after she hadn't had hormones for 10 or 20 years. And all the hundreds and thousands of women that collectively we had, I'm sorry, that we had treated and we never ran into it. But, you know, in medicine, details matter. So once we did learn about this, women who are 10 years out and they haven't had any hormones for 10 years will go to special precautions to evaluate their coronary arteries prior to treating them. And we've done quite a bit of that. Now, 10 years is a magic number that uh, we actually have more criteria than that. If a woman has a family history where her mother and her aunt and her grandmother had a stroke, 10 years, you know, if she's five years out, we're going to say, well, let's pay a little attention to two factors, coagulation and arterial sclerosis. And we can do that. And it's not that hard. And then there's the situation where my mother was not about to go get a nuclear stress test or echo stress test or a complex coagulation study. And neither was my mother-in-law. They were old school. And so I treated them because in medicine, there's so many risk benefits thing that you weigh the risks and you're dealing with an actual human being. Yeah, great theory. You're going to go, I'm going to go put my mother through an echo stress test. Not at 86. You're not going to do it. So everyone's an individual. There's always a way to figure out what's best for that patient. And uh, yeah. You know, what it comes down to is you have to do a little bit of N of one discovery and look at that individual, their genetics, their, you know, their risk profile and identify it. But again, like you said, we can test for that. It's not like we're a black box and we don't have the capacity to understand what's happening with somebody to stratify their risk. 
So I'm, I'm so glad that, that you sort of feel that way. I feel that way. And I just, you know, I'm constantly looking for credence to my opinion <laughs> and, um, you know, having somebody else that, you know, obviously has been treating over 12, what is it? 12,000 women and counting across the United States have been using your protocols, yeah. you know, for decades. And we have a lot of women in our clinic that are in their seventies and above that have been on hormones, you know, and, and rocking it and feeling great. You know, I want, can I go back? Mm-hmm. Something that you mentioned, that I think is really key. You started to say, Betty, about how does it make sense that hormones cause cancer? Well, they don't. There are many causes of cancer. There's many causes of any illness that you can think of. They don't come out of the blue in most instances, probably some exceptions there, difficult to explain. But, you know, they always come down to indiscretions around what you're eating, toxic exposures, too little or too much exercise, or the fight or flight biochemistry, that if you don't have good skills to deal with your life emotionally and mentally, you trigger this cascade of immune suppressive, and you do it day in and day out. These are the causes of illness. They're definitely there. And there's thousands of them throughout the course of a lifetime, and they add up. And they do not cause health. They cause absence of health. But hormones are critical to health. So hormones are not causing cancer. And, you know, that's why when you go into the medical literature, it's such a blur. You can never tie it in and say, oh, yeah, they cause." even when there's an estrogen positive receptor site, for example, this does not exclude a woman from getting hormone treatment and read Dr. Blooming, any woman who's had breast cancer and wants to get treated. And I'd like to, is it okay to mention that too? Absolutely. Dr. Blooming uh, has pointed out in Dr. Tavris that Women who have had breast cancer and had that breast cancer properly treated, sometimes that's surgery, chemo, radiation, you know, um, if they've had that properly treated, they have an increased relative risk of developing a recurrence than a woman who's never had breast cancer has of developing breast cancer. But even that in mind, a woman who's had breast cancer and has been properly treated has less risk of recurrence if she's treated with hormones than if she's not treated. Do hormones cause cancer? (laughs) Less risk of recurrence. So there's more to even this story, but I want to give you a few really critical details to think about. Yes, there's causes of cancer, folks. We got to be careful, especially in this day and age with all that we're exposed to, but it ain't hormones. (laughs) Yeah, you know, because that, you know, as I, because I've talked about this and because we chose to look for receptors on a breast tissue cell or, you know what I mean? So, oh, oh, it's got an estrogen receptor. So therefore that is it, but that doesn't necessarily mean, and that was the target drug target, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean it was driving any of the activity. Of course, breast tissue has hormone receptors. Hello. <laughs> They're designed to do that. You know, and every, you know, every cell has receptors. So and every tumor that's removed, it consists of breast tissue and cancer tissue. And if if it's not, if it's a tremendously undifferentiated cancer that you can hardly identify where it even came from under the microscope, there are no receptor sites. But if it's a well-differentiated cancer, those cells under the microscope, they look like breast glandular cells and they have receptor sites. But that doesn't mean that the receptor sites are going to be driven. Usually when you're looking at a tumor under and you see estrogen positive receptor sites, those aren't the cells in that tumor that you're concerned about. The ones you're concerned about are the one who are out of control. Don't, that's part of the cancer. So Dr. Blooming makes this point and he grew up in an era 
that uh, he was treating women with hormones who had breast cancer prior to their even discovery of receptor sites. And he said, you can't tell the difference. The receptor sites are not the issue. That's not what causes the recurrence. So it scares everybody, but go to the science. Read Dr. Blooming's book, Estrogen Matters, and his multiple follow-ups that he's put in cancer journals and stuff. He's really on top of it. Yeah, Less risk, folks. Yeah, I refer to that book all the time. I'm like, every woman, it should be required read. <laughs> By the time you're 35, you need to read it so you understand it. And and actually just get straight to the research and the science, not the conjecture and the, the sound bites that we get in modern media. So this brings me then to another point. So you've kind of already said we need the bioidentical, we need it throughout our lifetime, we need the therapeutic dose, not the lowest possible dose that could ever be done. Now, what do you think about testing, testing hormones? And, you know, is it important to test them? And if so, how and what would we look at? Well, good question. Ultimately, it's important to test, but not in the beginning. Do not test in the beginning. Here's why. I did test in the beginning. Like a woman comes into an office and she hasn't had a period for six months. You could test her. And what would you learn? What I learned when I originally did that, that her hormones were low. And she had a wonderful opportunity to pay out money for me to tell her her hormones were low when I already knew her hormones were low because she didn't have a period. By the time she doesn't have a period, her hormones are real low. So that's a waste. There's even a more perilous time to test. And when it's, it's a woman in the perimenopause, she's still having periods. She's got enough hormones in there to cause to have a period, but it's a very erratic time. And so, for example, the first time I made this mistake, I had a woman in the perimenopause and she was having hot flashes. She couldn't sleep at night because she'd wake up in the middle of the night with a night sweat and her mind would be racing because the adrenaline associated with that stressful experience. She couldn't back act to sleep. And from her story, I knew enough at that time to know that she was really low on estrogen. There was no doubt about it. She's glad enough to make a period, but she was really low on estrogen. But I decided to go ahead and test her. And on the day that we collected her 24-hour urine, which is the gold standard, the way to test, I'm looking at the test results and I'm showing them to her. And it says her estrogen levels are really high. And I'm saying to her, well, I'd like to treat you with estrogen, though. And she looked like she looked at me like, What? You just tested me, I have high estrogen levels, and you want to treat me with estrogen. Because what happens in a young woman who's doing a normal menstrual cycle, depending on the day of the cycle, let's say this is day one, her estrogen's really low, but it gradually rises, then it falls, then it rises again, and then it falls day 28. Smooth curve, really predictable in a young, healthy woman. In a woman in the perimenopause, she's getting low estrogen. And her body has, a, has a, a response to that. It goes, whoa, uh, this is not okay. Let's see if we can stimulate those ovaries again. And the pituitary gland pushes out some stimulating hormone. And you get a really erratic thing. Low estrogen, pituitary goes too low. Let's push out some stimulating hormones. Right. That estrogen pops way up to levels higher than it's ever been when she was younger. But she can't sustain it because the ovaries don't have it anymore. So it falls and rises and falls and rises and falls. And it totally depends what day you test her. So what we train our physicians and nurse practitioners and providers to do is don't test someone in the perimenopause. 
you're going to get conflicting results and it's going to confuse the woman. It's going to confuse you. How did I learn that? I did it. (laughs) (laughs) Let me talk to you about Sleep Me Sleep Systems. Are you a woman who suffers from hot flashes due to menopause or you just sleep hot in general? You don't need to suffer. End hot flashes and night sweats for good with Sleep Me's award-winning system. It's a mattress topper that goes on your current mattress so you don't need to buy a new one. It uses water's thermal powers to cool your bed as low as 5 degrees Fahrenheit. That means no matter how hot you get, you can sleep at your ideal temperature. And in fact, Wake Forest University had a study that showed that women in menopause saw a 57% decrease in the frequency of night sweats when they used Sleep Me's sleep system. So Sleep Me makes customizable, climate-controlled sleep solutions that will help improve the quality of your sleep. And you know when you improve the quality of your sleep, all other health measures improve. The sleep system works on all bed types, even adjustable ones, which allows you to keep your current mattress while sleeping at an ideal temperature. And hey, if you're like me and you're worried that your partner likes a different temperature at night, no sweat, they offer configurations that allow you to have dual temperature control from 115 degrees Fahrenheit to 55. And even if you don't like getting into a cold bed, like me, you can actually schedule the temperature to be warmer when you get in and then cool off as the night goes on as as you fall asleep. So currently Sleep Me offers two water-based systems, the Cube and the Dock Pro. Both sleep systems provide mattress toppers that cool as low as 55 degrees Fahrenheit. The Cube best for women who are steady hot, that won't quit, while the Dock Pro is the newest and most powerful system and it works really well for those of you who get sudden surges of intense heat. So I can tell you I've been sleeping on these for two years and my husband has too and it has been a game changer in the quality of my sleep. So if you're suffering from hot, uncomfortable sleep or know someone who is, you have got to check out Sleep Me at sleep.me slash menomastery. That's sleep.me slash M-E-N-O-M-A-S-T-E-R-Y. Plus, as a listener to this podcast, you can save up to 20% on a sleep system if you use the promo code HOTFLASH. That's H-O-T-F-L-A-S-H. This is a real game changer and you need to check it out at sleep.me slash menomastery and save 20% using the promo code HOTFLASH. Yeah, I call that the ketchup bottle effect, you know, in our, in our perimenopausal state, you know, when you're, when you're young, your ketchup bottle is nice and full and you can sort of squeeze it out perfectly. And then as you get into perimenopause, you got to shake it and it splats. (laughs) And then when it's menopause, it's just done. But it, it is, it's this moving, a little bit of a moving target, you know, and, and depending on where somebody's at, those, those symptoms can be all over the board. Now, you are a fan of urinary testing of hormones. So let's talk about Um, that. Let me talk to you about Sleep Me Sleep Systems. Are you a woman who suffers from hot flashes due to menopause or you just sleep hot in general? You don't need to suffer. End hot flashes and night sweats for good with Sleep Me's award-winning system. It's a mattress topper that goes on your current mattress so you don't need to buy a new one. It uses water's thermal powers to cool your bed as low as 5 degrees Fahrenheit. That means no matter how hot you get, you can sleep at your ideal temperature. And in fact, Wake Forest University had a study that showed that women in menopause saw a 57% decrease in the frequency of night sweats when they used Sleep Me's sleep system. 
So Sleep Me makes customizable, climate-controlled sleep solutions that will help improve the quality of your sleep. And you know when you improve the quality of your sleep, all other health measures improve. The sleep system works on all bed types, even adjustable ones, which allows you to keep your current mattress while sleeping at an ideal temperature. And hey, if you're like me and you're worried that your partner likes a different temperature at night, no sweat, they offer configurations that allow you to have dual temperature control from 115 degrees Fahrenheit to 55. And even if you don't like getting into a cold bed, like me, you can actually schedule the temperature to be warmer when you get in and then cool off as the night goes on as, as you fall asleep. So currently Sleep Me offers two water-based systems, the Cube and the Dock Pro. Both sleep systems provide mattress toppers that cool as low as 55 degrees Fahrenheit. The Cube best for women who are steady hot, that won't quit, while the Dock Pro is the newest and most powerful system and it works really well for those of you who get sudden surges of intense heat. So I can tell you I've been sleeping on these for two years and my husband has too and it has been a game changer in the quality of my sleep. So if you're suffering from hot, uncomfortable sleep or know someone who is, you have got to check out Sleep Me at sleep.me slash menomastery that's sleep.me slash M-E-N-O-M-A-S-T-E-R-Y. Plus, as a listener to this podcast, you can save up to 20% on a sleep system if you use the promo code HOTFLASH. That's H-O-T-F-L-A-S-H. This is a real game changer and you need to check it out at sleep.me slash menomastery and save 20% using the promo code HOTFLASH. We test 100% of the women but it's usually somewhere between the three and six month mark. Every woman is an individual. Best menopause medicine is the woman and the provider team to understand what's the optimal amount and the optimal balance of all the hormones. And it usually takes three to six months to do that. And when a woman says to me, oh my God, I think I've got this figured out. We figured out my right doses and balance. We test 100% of those women. And what we learn, and we do it by 24-hour urine hormone testing. We don't do it by other urine hormone testing. We don't do it by blood testing. We don't do it by salivary testing. We do it by 24-hour urine hormone testing, which has been the gold standard since the late 1960s. And what we learn is some of those women who say they feel good and their symptoms are alleviated, they're right in an optimal zone that I actually defined from taking information out of the medical literature. What's the right amount? Is Does she have enough? What is the bottom line? Got to have enough to protect the bones in the vagina. Minimal. Because women who don't have enough estrogen, they lose their bones and they lose their vagina. Minimal. You don't want too much. You don't want to stimulate breast glandular tissue. So we've defined that range. Not too little, not too much. So 25% of the women that we do the 24-hour urine hormone test, when they say, I feel better, are in that green zone, that optimal zone. 50% are still not on enough estrogen to protect their bones and their vagina. 50%. I did this study myself. And 25% are on excessive amounts of estrogen that put them at risk for breast glandular cell proliferation in the menopause. We don't want that. In most instances, there are exceptions. So we're always close. If a woman has alleviated her symptoms, we're always close. But And all it takes is another tweak in that final review of the hormone test 
we don't even test again because the tweak is going to get her there for a full year at least. So yes, we test 100% of the women and alleviation of symptoms, although it's widespread belief that that's all you got to do, not true. So that 24-hour urine test is mandatory and we do it 100% of the time. And 75% of the time, we do a little dosage tweak and we still say, and we'll see you next year because that's going to be enough. We don't have to follow up with that when you just got a little tweak to do. Yeah. You know, it's um because yeah, women are always like, well, I just want to get rid of my symptoms. But symptom removal and, and, you know, alleviation may not mean physiological by any stretch at all. At all. That's you know, really I- crucial, Betty, what you just said there, because it takes a certain amount to protect the brain. It takes, and when does this show up? If you have less than the optimal amount, it could take 10, 20 years to show up. But I promise everyone out there that your life is going to mean as much to you when you're 80 and 90 than it does right now in this moment. And you don't want to lose cognitive function. Harder to restore. It's restorable some of the time, sometimes not. But you want to be at an optimal level, not well, I just alleviated my symptoms. Same goes for muscles. Um, what gets most women into assisted living facility and nursing homes? Loss of muscles. What's the main driver? Loss of testosterone. Testosterone's uh, not a male hormone. It's a human hormone. Women, women have more testosterone than they have estradiol, their most potent estrogen. And without testosterone, you lose your muscles. You wind up in a cane, a walker, okay, doable, a wheelchair, oops. When you, by that time, you've also lost the muscle that holds up the bladder and the uterus. So you get into adult diapers. That's when women commonly go into assisted living facilities and nursing homes. You know, women are strong. They do that. But I've been a part of the, that situation, that transition. And it's, you know, sort of heartbreaking for the family and for the woman, especially. So you want to live long and prosper, (laughs) keep walking and talking and thinking, let alone have libido, want to have intercourse when you're in your 80s and 90s, you might love your spouse. (laughs) Who knows? Exactly. Hormones are really critical. And so you get on the optimal dose, which is not a low dose. It's not a high dose. 99% of the time, we don't want to bring the period back. No way. That's a very robust dose. Sometimes we do. It's rare, but we do. When cognition is at stake, we'll really, we'll really lean in on that estrogen. That's a whole story. But uh, you're going to want to be walking, talking, thinking minimal with clean coronary arteries as clean as you can get them. Get on those hormones. Get on the right dose forever. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. You know, um, it, it made me think about, because in our clinic, we work a lot with osteoporosis, obviously women's health and osteoporosis. And like you said, the loss of muscle mass, especially loss of muscle mass with a bone break is, you know, falls with a bone break uh, are the leading cause of accidental death. And particularly in women, because we don't have enough just protein circulating in the body to recover from a catastrophic injury like that. And when we get sick and then we get an infection and then we die or we, or we're stuck in a bed, which is not the way to live by any stretch of the imagination. 
one of the other things I was thinking about is since 1985, I was reading these stats um, earlier today. Since 1985, the risk for Alzheimer, Alzheimer's has gone up 145%. So, and our life expectancy has only gone up 5%. This is according to ALZ.org, so the statistics. You know, so our life expectancy has only risen slightly, right? So it's not that we're living that dramatically longer, but this overall risk for Alzheimer's is just staggering. It's like one in three people will die with obvious signs of Alzheimer's. That may not be what gets them, but if you were to look in the brain based on autopsy results, we have it. And women carry such a great risk. It's like one in five because of that loss of estrogen. And I don't think women understand that that we need that protective effect for our brain. There are so many estrogen receptor sites in the brain. And let me tell you a personal story. I was uh, invited to testify in front of the um, committee of the National Academy of Science on bioidentical hormones. And I had done some research on who else was going to be on the panel that I was testifying on. And I learned that uh, one of these doctors was on a very high dose uh, protocol. And I knew it was a bugaboo of the committee. So as she's sitting down next to me, just prior to our committee testifying, she introduces herself. I say, hi, I'm Dr. Rosasweet. Are you going to tell them that you're on that protocol? And she winked at me and said, no. And we went out to lunch, her son and I and her. And she told me this story. She was 55 years old, practicing physician. She started to have trouble thinking. She started uh, being unable to remember patients' names and, and their medical stories. And it concerned her because her mom had dementia and her mom's sister, thus her aunt, had dementia. And she knew the relationship between estrogen and cognition. So she started taking estrogen and she started to feel a little better. This is age 55. And she started taking a little more. She started to feel better. And she kept on increasing the estrogen dose until she cleared up entirely and she got her period back. So she obviously needed very rich levels to do it. But it that's and, I, and she was 65 when we had lunch. And I'm sitting there thinking, she's as clear as I am. <laughs> you know, it's hard to imagine that she wasn't clear of thought. So this is not an uncommon story. And the very first thing we do when a woman's getting cognitive challenges is we get optimized that estrogen. And we'll we'll even go so far to go beyond optimization into robust levels because some women will be rescued from dementia and it wasn't dementia, it was just the loss of estrogen. So one of my gynecologist friends uh, uh, points out that there's, as I was saying, there's so many estrogen receptor sites in a, in a woman's brain, it's off the charts. So I'm glad you brought that up because it's a big one. We hear challenges to cognition in the 40s and 50s and 60s. And we are very aggressive about it. We do not hesitate on that one. Not everyone is going to have be rescued from dementia. There are other causes of dementia. There's an excellent book out there called The End of Alzheimer's by David um, Dale Bredesen. And he points out that there's many causes that can uh, lead to neurodegeneration. And he lists estrogen loss as one of the big ones in women. So go for it. That's the first thing we do. See how much we can restore. Or then we refer to a Bredesen specialist. Yeah, 
Absolutely. So you brought this up, but I want to make sure. So we've been talking a lot about estrogen, but you're obviously of the mindset that, you know, that's not the only sex hormone women have. So we need testosterone. We need progesterone at, at levels that are therapeutic. So I would, I would say that you agree across the board on those, right? Absolutely. I mean, you want to copy nature. This thing has been figured out. <laughs> and you want every one of those hormones are very critical. Progesterone is so critical for mood. It's the great calmer. So it's very common to hear a woman goes into the perimenopause and menopause. She's getting anxiety. She's getting depressed. Deborah was going crazy. Progesterone totally restored her well-being. It's the very first thing we do when a woman's in the perimenopause and she's got emotional symptoms. We do not give her a, a mind-altering pharmaceutical. I'm not saying that there aren't there isn't a place for those, but on a woman in the perimenopause, man, we restore that progesterone right quick and the estrogen too. Testosterone, mandatory. I think it's one of the greatest services that a menopause specialist can do for a woman is to replenish that testosterone, but you want all of them, you want all four of them. Plus thyroid, midlife, men and women, we put a strain and a drain on our thyroids. And it's pretty unlikely that you got useful levels or highly functional levels of thyroid. So in the menopause method, we pay a lot of attention to that. Everyone gets fully evaluated and treated if they need it, which half or three quarters of the people do need to be treated. So you get them all. Yeah, you can't cherry pick those hormones. And, you know, I had a conversation with a, a patient a couple of weeks ago and, you know, her doctor, who's conventionally trained, is not a specialist in hormones, does not understand this and probably never read anything past the abstract on the Women's Health Initiative. Her first statement was, oh, well, testosterone therapy hasn't been approved for the FDA for women. And I'm like, well, let's see, I think half of all medications prescribed in the United States are off-label to begin with for other indications. So it's not like off-label use. And if we waited for the FDA to approve everything, nothing would happen. And we've already been through some experiences in the last couple of years where FDA approval didn't make a difference. So, you know, what would you say to a woman that's scared of testosterone? Don't be. Forget about it. <laughs> Embrace it like mana from heaven. Your young body put out more testosterone, as I said, than estradiol. There is probably a reason for that. And the reason is, I'll name a few, muscles. Take a look. I lived in Florida for quite a while. You don't see a lot of people, older people walking on the beach, even though the, the population of Florida is dominated by older people. You don't see them walking the beach. Why? You see a few and when you do, you see thin thighs and thin calves, unless they're overweight. And you, where, where a lot of these folks are is they're in assisted living facilities and nursing homes. And the reason they're there is loss of testosterone. Exercise matters. Of course it does. But you know, all the exercise in the world is not going to preserve your muscles. I had a gerontologist stand up in front of us when I was a senior medical student, lecturing on a noon lecture in the hospital. And he says, you all are senior medical students. You know so many diagnoses. Let me tell you what's happening to older people. They're losing their muscles. They can't walk with stability. And they fall, as you mentioned, uh, and they fall on their osteoporotic bones and they die. So you want to do something for old people? <laughs> Help them with their muscles and their sarcopenia, the loss of muscles and their bones. 
That's so true. It's so true. I, I read a statistic that if you, let's say, are a senior citizen over, over 65, even though I hate that term, um, and you fall and let's say minor fracture, right? A minor fracture, but you're laid up for, let's say, three or four weeks. It is easy for you to lose five pounds of lean muscle mass. You will never regain without testosterone and hormone replacement because your body cannot build that, hor- build that muscle back, regardless of how much you hit the gym. Yeah, it's critical. And you want it for a lot of reasons. You're not just, you know, we've named a few, but, you know, I'm just repeating that these are the most powerful biochemicals in our body and they really help us. And we can replenish them. We can give you the identical molecule uh, that your body used to produce. This is a good thing. It's It's a miracle of modern times. Yeah. Yeah. So that brings me probably to my, my last question. Let's talk about delivery mechanism. Right. So we, we know that you're not a fan of Premarin and Prempro oral progesterone and or, or, let me rephrase that oral progestins and horse mare urine. <laughs> so, so talk about delivery. What is, what is your preferred delivery mechanism? What do you think people should do to receive their hormones on a regular basis? Well, just to keep the record straight, I'm a big tent kind of person. I want the woman to choose. And I want informed providers to be uh, advising. And yes, ever since, you know, in the history of medicine, things can get better and better and better. There was a time that that Premarin was the best option out there. But that's been um, eclipsed now by more and more science, developing more and more refined stuff to where we can provide the same molecule. And I prefer that. And then it's really important to understand that estrogen is best delivered, applied to the skin, topically. And yes, you can take estrogen in a pill form, but there's increased risks there. And you have to take more estrogen that provokes coagulation issues. I mean, many women put on the birth control pill with the extra estrogen, got thrombophlebitis and even pulmonary embolus. It wasn't common, but it happened. And there's reasons why it happens. Very easy to understand reasons. So you don't take estrogen by mouth. Now, with what we know and what we learn from the birth control pill, you apply it to your skin and you don't have that increased risk of clot. And uh, testosterone, you do not take orally. It's hard to get it orally and uh, and it, it can injure the liver. So you never want to do anything that can injure the liver. <laughs> we love our livers. Progesterone, you can take orally, and DHEA, you can as well. But testosterone and estrogen need to be delivered in a topical preparation. Well, the standard of delivering something topical is in a cream or gel. But what many people don't understand, and it took me quite a while to understand, is these ovarian hormones, testicular hormones, are fat-soluble. They're very, almost impossibly impossible to dissolve in water. So you can't get them up in the solution. In fact, to get them to get up on the solution at all, you need strong solvent. So a lot of these creams and gels are over 99% strong solvent and less than 1% actual hormone. Well, I did the math. Here I am, a holistic doc, trying to help my patients get into good diets and to avoid toxins and detoxify. And I'm encouraging the women I'm treating to put on a quart of strong solvent a year for 10, 20, 30 years. 
Well, I'm, when I grokked that, we got to work and we did a lot of uh, experimenting and, and uh, testing and came up with an organic oils way to dispense these topical hormones. That's what this is, my testosterone. It's in a certified organic oil. I'm an organic guy and I love it. And uh, we really did some work to get, come up with the best stuff. And it's not a solution. You gotta, you gotta, I gotta shake the bottle before I put it on in the morning. And then it's fine and we've tested all this. So I highly recommend the organic oils delivery system for the topical estrogen and testosterone. We also deliver progesterone that way. Although some women we put on oral progesterone. So the base matters. Man, I would agree with that because, you know, we've been doing hormones at our clinic for close to 17, almost 18 years. And just the amount of, you know, if a woman's even changing from one pharmacy to the other, they'll, they'll be like, it doesn't feel the same. It's not the same. I'm like, it's probably the carrier. And it's so it's it is important. And like you said, I didn't realize the amount of solvents and essentially toxic stuff that has to get used to suspend that hormone. It's like, OK, so it, it could be whatever, but there's still a solvent involved in getting it to work. Whereas you've you've obviously found the answer around that and actually use organic oil to deliver it, which is great. Yeah, I think that's that's super important. And I'm glad you also kind of clarified about the risk around, you know, especially testosterone, even orally. I want to ask you another thing. What about what about injectables like testosterone injection? Because there are some people that recommend that. I can't imagine doing that. But as, as particularly as a woman. Well, they're historical. And, you know, 40 years ago, I met up with men who were injecting testosterone. And who wants to inject? For one thing, it's not an ideal way to do it. When you inject something, it immediately goes into your bloodstream very soon. And you get these high levels, and then you gradually taper off. And three days later, you inject again and get these high levels. This is a physiologic disturbing mechanism. It's not physiologic. Ovaries, testicles put out hormones every day and not just once a day. And you, you're injecting every three days. So you get these high peaks. So you run into other problems. Like I'm just going to mention, I'm going to drop names, but I want to just give you an idea that you run into problems when you're getting these high peaks. Why don't they inject every day? If you're going to inject, I say inject every day. You're still going to get peaks, but at least you're not going to get these supercharged peaks, which are going to raise your sex hormone binding globulin, your DHT, oh, losing hair. Not such a big deal, right? Yeah, talk to men who are losing their hair. Or women, or women. <laughs> and uh, so there's the state of the art. You know, it worked great when there's that's the only thing available. But then testosterone is available topically. So this is my testosterone. I put it on every day after a shower. Works beautifully. And it allows us to give a, a, a lesser dose every day. Not too little. The right amount absorbs beautifully. So there's a lot of men out there with needle phobia. They're willing to do it. But if you give them an option, they go, oh, <laughs> don't have to inject? All right, let's do that. You know, injection's better than nothing for men. Women, I can't imagine why in the world a woman would want to inject hormones or do pellets. They do it. I don't get it. It's it's not, it, there's a lot of limitations. If injections were the only tool I had, just like if Premarin were the only tool, man, let's go for it. But it's not. There's so much more elegant, scientific, gentle, protective ways of doing this stuff. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and, and your organizations, where can they go online? Well, I would say go to bright, B-R-I-T-E dot live. And you can reach us. You can learn a lot about. Can, you, for the professionals who want to learn more, I would go to iobim.org, I-O-B-I-M, Institute of Bioidentical Medicine dot org. You learn about our training programs. And then you're offering, uh, I think you're, you're going to offer a free PDF version of our book, Happy Healthy Hormones for Women. Yes. A link on your. Yeah. Yeah, so that'll a, be in our show notes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a great way to learn what you need to learn about menopause. I'll tell you, it's the roadmap on what I think is the best way to approach things. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Rosensweet, it's been wonderful having you on Menopause Mastery. I could I could talk to you for hours <laughs> and we could just get into everything and anything that needs to be discussed, but it's been fabulous and and you know, I'll have to have you on again and we can Good. get into some deeper dive, some other topic area that uh, we're both passionate about. Fantastic, Betty. I'd be honored. Uh, absolutely. Awesome. We've got, got a dynamic, exciting, mutual interest here, and uh, we just synergized to me. So That's fabulous. Thank you so much, Dr. Rosenthal. Sweet. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Menopause Mastery Podcast. You are why I'm here, and I am so very grateful. Hit subscribe so you don't miss any wisdom on creating the most exceptional life on our terms. If this episode has helped you in any way, please share it with a friend to spread the love and together we rise. You can follow me on social media at Betty Murray PhD and you can reach me online at BettyMurray.com.